Welcome to the Touring Plans Podcast. Welcome to the Touring Plans Podcast. I'm Angela Dahlgren, here with my co-host, Brian McNichols. Hello. Last episode, we talked about the opening day of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. This was the one at Disney's Hollywood Studios, and we talked about that with Dave from the Brandy and Dave podcast. I believe it's the Disfluencers podcast, but they also have a YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. And before we get started, this podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. Our customizable touring plans will save you up to four hours in line at the theme parks. Visit touringplans.com for more information. I hear great things about them. I know. They're pretty good, aren't they? (laughs) Today, we are doing a simple Q&A. It's been a while since we've done one of these. So on to our Twitter questions. You start, Brian. I'm always talking. Well, I just want to say thank you to everyone. We got a lot of questions, uh, a lot of really great questions. So if you do not hear yours, we are sorry, but we tried to answer most of them that we got, or at least ones that are similar. So even if you don't hear your specific name called, uh, we might be answering one that is is a similar question. So you, you hopefully will still get your answer in there somewhere. And this first one is from at the Mouse and More, and they asked, "What is your favorite quick service restaurant at Disney's Hollywood Studio?" Studios. Um, I mean, this, this has to be Docking Bay Seven now, right? Well, this first of all, this question is actually from Adam uh, from the Mouse and More podcast, who is on our show. So, shout out to Adam. Oh, okay. I thought so, but I didn't want to say that because I wasn't sure if it was from him or not. So, <laughs> no, I got you. I didn't get to eat at Docking Bay Seven. I did not get to have anything to eat or drink at Galaxy's Edge. Which, if you oh, no. listen to our last episode, it was a very, it was very sad for me. But what did you have there, Brian? I have eaten everything at the well. I've eaten everything at the Disneyland version. I haven't been to the Florida version yet, but I, from what what I hear from the people who've eaten it both, they're they're similar enough. Everything is really good except for the shrimp and chilled noodles. Uh, that is not great mm. because it's a, like a cold dish, and it's I it's it's not it's it's not great. I I, I didn't like that, and our consensus uh, from the people I was eating with was that that was was the worst but everything else is really good the um the the i, I forget exactly the the names from it. the fried tip yip which is uh, i believe like a beef or meatloaf kind of thing is is really good the vegetarian meatballs are actually really good there i know guy salga our disneyland experts uh for touring plans he says that that you know he still maintains that Docking Bay Seven is is most likely, if not definitely, the best quick service meal at Disneyland. Wow. And Disney's Hollywood Studios quick service was is was nowhere near the level of Disneyland's. So therefore, um, I think it has to be like far and away the best there. Without that one, that makes this a much trickier question because the quick service at, at Hollywood Studios was pretty rough before so i I usually would go with backlot express which is over by like indiana jones and star tours there in echo lake it's um it's fine like the it's got a lot of the same chicken tenders and things that you find at a lot of the quick service but it seems to be maybe a slightly better quality i i don't know but that's usually the one I, i go with it's got it's inside it's air conditioned which isn't a given at hollywood studios either but uh just just go to docking b7 Every time you say tip yip, I always think of yip yip, and then I think of Ewoks, mm-hmm. and then it makes me think that you're eating Ewoks, and that makes me really sad. If it was universal, you'd definitely be eating Ewoks. Disney won't quite go that far. <laughs> it's just really sad. But they'll let you eat other animals, like, oh, I can't think of the, like the fat. Yeah, like the fat ones on Naboo. Yeah. Oh, I can't think of it. I can't think of them either. Well, Ronto at Ronto Roasters, yeah. that's one of the animals. Yeah, I'm blanking. I did all my Star Wars research so long ago that I'm forgetting some of the names of these. We talked uh, about it at one things. point. Oh, we definitely talked quite a bit about it, but I probably should have pulled the menu up. But okay, so Docking Bay 7 out, where where would you go for quick service at Hollywood Studios? I think that Animal Kingdom, I will always say Satouli Canteen, just because of those grain bowls, they make me feel very healthy. And as far as, you know, in, in the theme parks with quick service, you know, you always kind of think the chicken tenders and the, and the hamburgers. Mm-hmm. So I, I always appreciate those green bowls and they're, they're good and you can get pretty sizable portions as well. So I would say Satouli Canteen is one of my favorites to go to. But that's not at Hollywood Studios. But I know I was, you already <laughs> talked about the Backlot Express, Brian. I was oh, moving on. Your choice? 
choice. That's why I was asking what your Oh my gosh. I just read the entire question and it said Hollywood Studios. Mm -hmm. I'm a big (laughs) dingling. Yeah, because if you're asking not at Hollywood Studios, it's a much easier question. (laughs) I even I pre-wrote my answer and I was like, wow, I am so ahead of the game. Look at me. And I didn't even read the whole question. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. Then. We, don't edit this out. We'll just we'll just leave in my you know idiocy. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, Ricardo. He wrote, "What is the best strategy to go to Magic Kingdom by car with a party of four? Drop them at the Contemporary. Any other ideas? I would probably say that dropping off the, the Contemporary is the best plan, and then just walking over because you can go through security um, on the walk over, and then that's already done with, and go straight into the park." If you're dropping people off, then yeah, absolutely drop them at the contemporary and then, and then just walk. In fact, it's the same thing if you're taking a ride share, if you're like, right. if you're taking a non minivan ride share, I should say, like a regular Lyft or an Uber, mm-hmm. just have them just go to the contemporary and you might have to tell the, the guard at the gate, like, Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to meet people or I'm eating because I, they don't, I don't think they love when they just get drop-offs there. But if you're taking a minivan, they can take you right into where the buses are. So you just go straight to the Magic Kingdom with them. If you are parking, that gets a lot trickier because you're not supposed to park at the hotels unless you are a guest at the hotel or are have a dining reservation. There are certainly people who make fake dining reservations, uh, which is part of the reason now that you are charged $10 a person for a no-show. So that gets real dicey, and I don't know exactly what will happen if they find out that you're not actually staying there, so I don't necessarily like recommending parking there. Uh, you're probably just better off parking at the ticket and transportation center and dealing with the annoyance of the extra travel. But yeah, if you're dropping off, absolutely contemporary is the answer. Yeah, the TTC just takes so long. The minivans are a lot more expensive, but they will drop you off in the bus drop-off area. I I got this question during my Ask Me Anything on Instagram. By the way, if Mm -hmm. you don't follow us on our Instagram page, it's at Touring Plans. We have a lot of fun over there. But yes, so that's really the big difference between the Lyft and Uber drop-offs and the minivan drop-offs. Yeah, in in most cases, I just take like a normal Lyft because of the price difference. But uh, for Magic Kingdom, I almost always will do the minivan just because of that. Like it's so much easier and you can get so much closer. Uh, so next one, this is from uh, Josh, RigbyFab4 on Twitter. He wants to know how to best use the extra, extra magic hours at Hollywood Studios. Now, these are running through November 2nd. So when you hear this, I have about a month or so left of extra, extra magic hours. Such a good question. And uh, it is. And and I had to look up some stuff for this one. But the uh, extra, extra magic hours at Hollywood Studios are three hours of morning extra magic hours. So if you are a Disney hotel guest or a guest of a hotel that gets extra magic hours, so like the Disney Springs hotels get them as well, you can get into Hollywood Studios from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. every day. Basically, not basically, exactly every day until November 2nd. Now, uh, something we'll be talking about a little bit later too, it hasn't been as busy at Hollywood Studios as Disney's expected it would. You know, I guess Star Wars uh, opening up in the in a very slow time still makes it a very slow time. But one the thing, what he wanted to know too was what opens when, which is the part I had to look up because we weren't sure if everything was going to open at 6 a.m. or if they would stagger the openings because that's just a long time to have everything open. But when I looked, it seems like the answer is all the rides open at 6 a.m. Uh, and they all open at the exact same time. They, today, they started posting times at 5.44 a.m. Yesterday, it was 6.09 a.m. And the day before, it was 5.51 a.m. So they are all opening within... 15 minutes on either side of 6 a.m. So as far as the best strategy, I would say just go wherever you want because the crowds are so light at 6 a.m. on like a weekday in, in you know September, October that everything is, is going to be basically a walk-on. If you want to do Million Falcon Smugglers Run, I would still say maybe go there first. But after that, I and mean, just have fun. Do you'll you'll have all the rides done probably multiple times in that first three hours. Then you can go take a nap. That was going to be my question. Is I would think go straight to Smuggler's Run, 
just in case, you know, it fills up later during the extra, extra magic hours. And Mm -hmm. then since you exit into Toy Story Land, then go to Slinky Dog Dash, Toy Story (laughs) Mania, Alien Swirling Saucers, if you, you know, want to throw up, and then go over to Rock and Roller Coaster Tower of Terror. Yeah, I think that is exactly the way the way I would do it. Yeah, because those are in order. Those are the ride. And then go back over to Star Tours if you want. Those are in order. That's the way it's it's going to fill up. And uh, I'm looking right now. It was taking people about 35 minutes in line this morning at about 6.30. That actually went down to 22 minutes at 7. <laughs> at 7.44, it was still 25 minutes. So I, I would, it looks like the wait times start to go up right before nine. So about 8.45 is when they started to go up to, they were posting about 45, 50 minutes, which, you know, means you're probably still about 35. So like the whole way through the extra magic hours this morning, it stayed pretty consistent, but yeah, the, I would say go there first. If you, if you're a little bit late, if you don't get until 6.30, maybe do a loop first and come back. Cause it seems like a lot of people go there first and then the wait times actually go down in that middle hour in there. So but yeah, it's it's been great. If you can get up that early and get in there for the extra extra magic hours, you can do all of the rides, and then you can either go back later for the shows or hang out for a little while until the shows start. You know, the shows don't actually start until between nine and eleven, depending on the show. So, but it's it's a great time to be there right now. Yeah, Brian, I can imagine this is your dream. Brian, for a long time, got up super early. He still gets mm-hmm. up pretty early. This this is something I would not prefer to do, but I think it's definitely worth doing if you're going to be at Walt Disney World during this time. Yeah, even Slinky Dog Dash, I'm looking at now, Like the we, we got some actual wait times recorded by our WDW Lines users, which is our, our app that, be, that comes free with the subscription uh, through touring plans. And... Um, you can time your wait on there and the slinky dog dash weights look fantastic. We have a 13 minute at six 30. We have a 21 minute at seven, 21 minute at eight, 14 minute at eight 30. So like, I mean, for slinky dog dash, that's a, a 20 minute wait is, is as good as a walk on for that ride. I mean, under normal circumstances, you're probably waiting an hour if you're there any other time during the day. Right now it's posted at 55 minutes and it is 1045 in the morning. So, you know, when you can get on with a 20 minute wait, that's pretty great. Yeah. All right. Next question. This is by House on Twitter. What impact do you think Christmas and Halloween, uh, these are the parties, so Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party and Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, what impact do you think the parties will have on Magic Kingdom crowd levels for party days and non-party days? This is actually one of those uh, one of those weird things that, that doesn't always make sense uh, until you start thinking about it. So on party days for the Magic Kingdom, the crowd level is usually actually lower. That is because the hours are shorter. Magic Kingdom is only open until 6 p.m. on days with a party. A lot of guests that aren't going to the party, uh, or even even some that, that are, but maybe don't have a park hopper ticket, choose to go somewhere else that day. Because mm-hmm. if you're, I mean, think about it, if you're a, a guest not going to the party, and you don't have a park hopper, are you going to go to a park that closes at six? You're not not getting as much value for that day as you would if you went to any of the other parks that are close at eight, nine, ten. So people just don't go as much. And the people with the party tickets, or if they're using their party ticket as, as a de facto hopper for that day, you can't get in on the party ticket until 4 p.m., our crowd calendar measurements uh, only kind of take the wait times at the middle of the day. So it's only recording the times where the party guests are not there yet. So that's why the numbers tend to be lower. And actually, especially like right around mid-September, early October, days with parties on them tend to be really, really light. And I remember this was years ago when the crowds weren't as heavy, but I remember doing almost every ride in the magic kingdom on a party day as like, and, and just leaving by like 3 PM because wow. not, not because it, 
it started to get busy just because we had done so much. We were like, oh, let's just go back to the hotel. It's not quite that, that like that anymore, but there are certainly days where you can do a lot in a shorter amount of time. And it does start, the crowds do start picking up, not, you know, starting around four, you'll start noticing more and more people coming in and you can tell they're wearing the wristbands for the Halloween party. So you can kind of tell exactly who is, is coming for that. But, uh, yeah, if you want to take like a half day, even if you don't have a park hopper, but are, you know, like to have, build in your rest days a little bit, a party day is a great day to like rope drop the Magic Kingdom, stay until mid afternoon, and then take the night off. I was also going to add to that how I kind of like to do the Halloween party during the day is I like to kind of have a relaxing day with my family. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So we like to spend the day by the pool or at Disney Springs, something very low key because we know we're going to be staying up late for the party. So maybe that's something other families do as well. Maybe not. Let me know if that's something you do either on Twitter for Brian and I or Instagram. Let us know. Well, I think that's right. Cause you're, you're thinking, you know, like ideally you're going to be at the party until midnight uh, or, you know, close to it at least. So yeah, you're not going to get to the park at 7am on, right. on those days. So. All right. And next up, we are jumping over to our, uh, some questions we got from Instagram. Of course we are at touring plans on Instagram as well. This is from the uh, crumpler. Why the usernames are it's like a Dr. Seuss name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is very much. Uh, and they ask recommendations for taking a break at Animal Kingdom without leaving the park. So you were just talking about taking, a, you know, being a little more relaxed with the family. So if you were at Animal Kingdom with your, either by yourself or with your family, Angela, what would you do as a break? I would definitely say do the shows. You know, it's tough to be a bug. Festival of the Lion King, the Finding Nemo show, I would kind of direct you as far as what lounges and bars to take advantage of. (laughs) That was going to be part of my answer, of course. Yeah, Animal Kingdom is actually a great park to do this in. Animal Kingdom and Epcot are the two that come to mind immediately where like... I don't even, even taking a rest, like I don't like to leave the park because there's a lot of just spaces to, to hang out. Yeah. The shows are a great idea, not only because you're sitting down, you're in air conditioning, but they're, they're long. The right. Finding Nemo show is like 45 or 50 minutes long or something. Like it's, it's a decent break uh, and it's a great show. But the lounges, yeah, there's uh, the, the Nomad Lounge at Tiffin's is great. There's indoor seating. There's outdoor seating, uh, covered outdoor seating. Yak and Yeti actually has an, an okay bar, although that's very much just kind of a, a bar setup. It doesn't have the comfy seating like Nomad Lounge. Nomad Lounge would be my my number one choice. Actually, even the Rainforest Cafe out near the front has a pretty interesting bar with uh, there if you just, just want to grab a drink and don't want it to be crowded. But actually, I would just say like the animal trails. There's the the Discovery Island trails that you can walk through. There's seating at various places in there. The Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail, the Maharaja Jungle Trek are just kind of walkthroughs. Uh, you know, just kind of find a place to to sit, find a bench in there, sit, relax. It's usually pretty shaded. You can see animals. It's there's there's a lot of places that you can just slowly explore in Animal Kingdom. Yes. And if you're going to Gorilla Falls, you have to go see Baby Grace. She's the new baby gorilla. The media team at Touring Plans were obsessed with her. She's the <laughs> cutest thing ever. You have to go see her. And also, she's get big now. She's still a little peanut. I, mean, actually- compared, I was going to say, compared to the other gorillas, she's oh, small. Well, yes. She's just, she's- you know. Very, very fun size. She's uh, small for her age, too. Oh, my gosh. We love her. And also, I was going to say Kilimanjaro Safaris, because that's when you could sit down for, but you're still seeing a lot of cool stuff. And it's an exciting attraction, too. It's one of my favorites. Only problem with that one is that it, you might be waiting in line for a little while before you actually get on it. Like the shows very rarely have like a line. Wait, there are people that will wait in line, but you don't usually need to. You can yes. kind of walk in and find a seat at the end. Good point. So get a fast pass for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This one is from Lebinsky. Which is your most favorite park and why? That's hard. I don't think I can choose. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I mean, I always have so many caveats on favorite because it kind of depends. Personally, I think 
Epcot's been my favorite for a long time. A lot of that is is nostalgic, like like most people with Epcot. But also, I love 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 World Showcase in Epcot. I, I like to travel anyway, so it's as close as I can get to traveling the world and still being in Disney World. But uh, Animal Kingdom, I have started to really, really love over the last few years. The more I slow down and explore it, instead, you know, I used to be more the type of tour that would go in and try to hit all the rides as fast as possible, and then get mm-hmm. out. And I now that I've been on all the rides so many times, I don't do that as much. And just exploring, I'm, I've really, really started to like Animal Kingdom a lot. I know. I completely agree. I used to always, and I, I. I try not to do this anymore, but I would always not make time for Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I Because I, I just kind of had this chip on my sh- shoulder that it was not that traditional, magical Disney park. So I just didn't want to make time for it. But the more that I explore it, the more that I find different reasons to love it. Uh, that being said, it's probably still my least favorite park because... I am a traditionalist when it comes to Disney and I love the magic, but that doesn't say that I don't love it. I just don't love it as much. Anyway, Magic Kingdom, I don't feel like I've been to Walt Disney World unless I go there, see the castle, walk around and take in that atmosphere. It's just, it's very special to me. And then Epcot, I love the World Showcase. I have to ride Spaceship Earth every time I'm there, which they're now ruining and I'm really, really sad about it. Soren, I adore. Disney's Hollywood Studios at Christmas time is there's something so just so special and nostalgic about it with the decorations. I love what they've done with the show on Tower of Terror. That's so neat. Um, what is it? Something Seasons? Seasons Greetings? Yeah, Sunset Seasons Greetings. Oh, it's so neat. Definitely go there for Christmas time if you get the chance. There's something so wonderful about each park. Hollywood Studios is the one I'm always torn on because... It has so few rides, but the ones it does have are really good. So Hollywood Studios is my least favorite park by miles and miles. It is. It it would be my least favorite domestic Disney park. Um, And if I was including Universal, it might still be last. But if I was listing my favorite rides, like probably like four of the top 10 would be at Hollywood Studios, which is always weird. But I just don't like the aesthetic of of Hollywood Studios. But uh, not that I don't go there all the time. Actually, the Magic Kingdom, when I'm when I'm there for work and by myself, the Magic Kingdom tends to be the one I avoid more uh, unless I need videos there, which I usually do. But now with the kids, we've spent a lot of time there. And, and you, especially your kids at your age, I would imagine you end up there a lot. We do, but we do we do tend to split the parks pretty evenly. Magic Kingdom, we maybe go there an extra day. As far as Hollywood Studios, I think that it's before Animal Kingdom because it was my or it's my dad's favorite park, so the nostalgia's there. Yeah. And I love jazz music and swing. It's like one of my top favorite genres, and that's all they play. So I'm just singing the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think some of that is the age difference between us because. I remember Hollywood Studios as a much different park because in my in my memories, yeah. a park that I liked less than I do now. So uh, the the old MGM, I, I and I know the Dillos are cringing as I'm saying this, but uh, I really did not like it when it first opened. So I'm remembering that where you're probably you're remembering it kind of after the <laughs> the refurbs and things. You know, the same way a lot of people remember Animal Kingdom from what it was when it started, which was not as good. Uh, where I did, I dismissed it for a long time because of that, and now I'm kind of growing into it more, I suppose. And I remember Epcot as a much better park than it currently is. See, (laughs) and I don't. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, by the time you were old enough to remember it, it was already basically declined. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's move off of this question that is no doubt getting me in terrible trouble. I know. I was just thinking, like, what are they going to think of us now? (laughs) So this one is Kelly V five three seven five. Do you think Disney's Hollywood Studios will go back to pre Galaxy's Edge Fast Pass rules anytime in the near future? For those that are, are not familiar with what has happened here, Fast Passes are tiered at Hollywood Studios. So there is a top tier, which I'll call Tier One where you can only pick one fast pass from tier one. Your other two fast passes must come from tier two. And they do this at every park except for Magic Kingdom. 
Uh, normally, they put the popular rides in Tier 1 so that, for instance, Animal Kingdom, the only rides in Tier 1 are the two Avatar rides, Flight of Passage and Navi River Journey. So you can only pick one of those. You can't try to get a fast pass for both. That's how they do it at, in most cases. For Hollywood Studios, when Galaxy's Edge opened on August 29th, they shifted it. So now... Tier one includes, uh, there, there are no fast passes available for Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, and there won't be for Rise of the Resistance when that opens. But so you can't, they're not in any tier. But tier one includes all three Toy Story rides, uh, Slinky Dog Dash, Aliens, Swirling Saucers, Toy Story Mania. It includes Rock and Roller Coaster. It includes Tower of Terror. So that means the only ride that is in tier two is Star Tours, The Adventures Continue, which makes the fast passes much less useful, except for one that you get from tier one. So what, what Kelly here is asking is if they will change this in the near future. We don't know anything, of course, but they have to, right? I mean, it can't stay like this forever because it's making too many people mad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and really this kind of leads in with another question we're getting is, you know, that the park has been a lot lighter. Galaxy's Edge crowds have been a lot lighter. If that's mm-hmm. going to continue, you know, if, you know, Rise of the Resistance is going to be in there. So it confuses a lot of things. But if that's going to continue, are they going to switch it? Well, and the other thing you have to figure, because, yeah, I mean, Rise of the Resistance is is currently supposed to open on December 5th. There are lots and lots of rumors swirling that that may not happen, but mm-hmm. nothing, nothing official has been said yet. And then in spring sometime, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway will be opening uh, in the where, where a great movie ride used to be in the Chinese theater. So that is almost definitely going to end up being a tier one, at least at first. Mm-hmm. If they ever put the Galaxy's Edge rides on FastPass, and they will eventually, but it just might not be for a year or so, those will be tier one. They can't just have all of the rides as tier one, or they might as well just say you only get to pick one FastPass for Hollywood Studios now. So we've kind of been under the assumption that whenever Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway opens, that's when they'll make the switch back. And we just don't know exactly when that is yet. But um, my guess is going to be that it will be Runaway Railway, you know, the Star Wars attractions and Mm -hmm. Slinky Dog Dash maybe will be tier one and the others will be tier two. But who knows? They This caught everyone by surprise when they changed to this because it's so nonsensical. And I think it only is sort of working right now because the park is much less busy than they thought it was going to be. I think if the park was busy and the lines for Rock and Roller Coaster and Tower and Terror were an hour plus, like they will be for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I think they're going to get a lot more complaints about people that just cannot get fast passes for those rides. I have two things that I want to talk about. One was another question. When do you think Galaxy's Edge will start using FastPass? And I think it's going to be well after Rise of the Resistance opens. Personally, this is what I think, because I think they're going to wait and see how busy that attraction is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that sounds exactly right. I think they're at, at this point with the way the crowds have been and the way the crowds have been in California, which is also lighter than they expected, I think they're very much just in like, like, oh, we don't know what's happening. Let's just hope everything gets fixed when Rise of the Resistance opens. Well, that goes on to my next question. Uh, Snorkelista, she talks a lot to me um, in the DMs on Instagram. She's very sweet. What's going on with the crowds at Walt Disney World post-Galaxy's Edge? Seems super light like Disneyland. You know, we do have a crowd calendar update coming October 1st on the blog. That's the Touring Planes blog. So make sure that you check that out on October 1st. It should be today as you're hearing this. Yes. Oh, yeah, right. So make sure today you're checking that out, heading to the blog. We'll have that in the show notes, the link for that. Uh, that's, that's the problem with doing some live videos and Instagram stuff is then you forget when you're pre-recording. <laughs> yeah. Anyway... She wants to know what is going on with the crowd. So let's do a little bit of speculating here, Brian. Well, I think to start with, September is traditionally the lightest month at Disney World, especially the first couple weeks of September. Now, we thought that would change this year because of Galaxy's Edge, and it, it just didn't. It still was super light. So it could just be a calendar thing where they just happened to open it during a time that wasn't busy. And I think Rise of the Resistance not being open had quite a bit to do with that, too. People were just waiting. They're like, I'm not going to go to an unfinished land. I'm just going to wait. I saw this at the beginning when the dates were announced for Star Wars land. People are like, 
I'm just going to cancel my Disney trip completely. I'm not going to go during the openings of these lands. I'm going to go a different time. I think fear was a lot of it. People were afraid that it would be mobbed. And if they weren't super interested in Star Wars, they just said, no, I'm, I'll wait. I, in fact, I, I was talking to, to a friend locally here that is a, is a big Disney fan that is going in, I believe, January or February. Now, the, again, this is like the third party I'm hearing this, but uh, a friend of theirs does a lot of like work on, on, you know, reservations and things with Disney. And they were saying that they've been getting that a lot where they're not getting nearly as many reservations for the fall as they were for the beginning of 2020. And, and when, you know, people sang about it, they were saying that they wanted to wait until the crowds died down some, which, you know, so I think that is some of it. Now, the first big test will be Thanksgiving. I think uh, Thanksgiving week is traditionally very busy. Uh, our calendar is usually like eight to tens that week. If that week is light, then Disney is going to be very, very scared. Yes, I think that there will be a couple factors. There's also Hurricane Dorian to consider. Mm -hmm. Did enough people cancel their trips, leave early and reschedule that it will be busier later on? I'm seeing a lot of people going in January, which Brian and I are also both going in January. And hoping it won't be busy. (laughs) Are we filled with regret now? Maybe. Uh, So are we going to have another busy January like we did last year with Irma? believe so yeah but the last couple of years there's been some hurricanes that have been you know at least threatening central florida which is all they need to do to get people to postpone their trips and disney will allow changes and uh, in fact i got an email just today from a touring plans user saying that they actually even got extra fast passes when they changed because uh they had some good fast passes and and asked disney if they was a way they could get those again and got some anytime fast passes for it so wow. disney is definitely adjusting uh for you if there is a weather issue so i mean it and the airlines do as well so that could be quite a bit of it yeah And I just wanted to point out that if you are switching your trip to a higher crowd time of year, if it's going to, if you were going during, you know, September when it was threes and fours, and now you're going in January where it might be like a seven or eight, our touring plans are meant to work better during those busier crowd days. They don't do as much during, you know, the two or threes because the wait times are lower. You can just, that's easy. Yeah. Yeah, that's easy. They're meant to work when it's a 10 out of 10 in the park for wait times. So just know that. All right. Next up, we have Nicole Guibin. Guibin. Uh, sorry, Nicole. Uh, how busy has droid making been? This is the uh, the droid depot in Galaxy's Edge, and how much time do we need to budget? Did you get to see the the droid depot very much when you were there? Everything was out the door on opening yeah. day, and but I do have reservations to build a droid either in December or January. So I have it. I might cancel. Let me know. Do you guys think I should build the droid? Should I film it? Let me know. Yes, Yes, you should. The droids are awesome. But Galaxy's Edge is is obviously strange, but it's been steady. It hasn't been crazy. You can get droid depot reservations right now, like, you know, for, especially if you are like one or two people, you can get them on pretty short notice, sometimes even same day. But if you're looking for like three or four people, then it's harder to get. So, you know, there, there are reservations are mostly full, but not totally full. Later in the day, you definitely, I, I, I'm be shocked if most days other than, you know, like we said, Thanksgiving, Christmas week, uh, you could just kind of walk in and build one later in the day. Even when I was in, in Disneyland, now they were doing the reservation system at that time. So it was a little bit different, but in the evening one, there was like one person making a droid. There was, it was great. But, um, as far as the time, I'm not exactly sure because I didn't do it either. I don't think it takes terribly long. I would say, you know, a half hour or less and you're, you're probably fine on there, but I didn't do it. I don't know exactly how long it takes to build them. I would say to be on the safe side, just budget an hour. And then if you have extra time, that's extra time to walk around and see the land. Yeah, because I, I also don't know, like, even if you have a reservation, it's possible that you'll, you you st- might still have to wait for a spot at the conveyor belt or something. So you may end up having to wait 15 or 20 minutes before you even start. Now, I have a question for you, Brian. If you are making a reservation 
and just one person is building a droid, but like your family's going to watch. So maybe two or three more people. Do you still make the reservation for one? I think you only make the reservation for the people that are actually building, but I'm not sure how many can watch. I know with the Savia's workshop with the lightsaber build, uh, you can only take one person in with you that is not building. Mm -hmm. And in that case, you only make the reservation for people building. I know that. I assume that the Droid Depot works the same way. Oh, here it is right here. Experience area is limited to the builder and one guest. So if you make a reservation for one, you can also bring one person with you that just wants to watch or film, uh, say. I imagine it works the exact same as the lightsabers then. You make the reservation for the number of builders, and then you can just bring an extra guest that's just going to stand behind you so they don't need a reservation. Now, that being said, Julia Moscardo, she is a blogger and editor of the blog at Touring Plans. She built, or her daughter built a droid, and her and her husband and daughter all went in there all built the droid and watched, but they did not have a reservation. They were standby and only waited like 45 minutes. So keep that in mind if you're doing walk-in. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, if it's, if it's one guest and you have another adult and a child, then I, I would say the chances are pretty good that you could bring the child with you too. But Disney's official stance is one guest. Now, Kelly Owens Miller, Her question is, what is the best time to do Star Wars Galaxy's Edge if you aren't staying on site? Now, Brian, you were telling me that looking at the wait times, the end of the night was looking pretty good for uh, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. Like everything, the the best times to go are either first thing in the morning or right before closing, kind of in the evening. And it's it's no different, Um, you know, if you cannot get there for the morning or if you're staying off site and can't use the extra extra magic hours then i would say go in the evening the land is also absolutely gorgeous at night it's pretty dark uh, Mm -hmm. as angela found out when she tried to film it before sunrise (laughs) i would say just just go at at night it's uh it's pretty great i'm trying to look up the wait times as i'm talking here and i forgot what day it is yeah at you know after nine o'clock last night the wait times went down to they're actually even starting about 8 p.m. It went down about 25 minutes posted, then went down to 20, and then eventually down to 15 right before closing. So I would say, yeah, the last like two hours uh, would be the time to hit it. Well, this is a good time to talk about our Touring Plans Tips and Tricks segment. This is actually talking about, you know, how you can find these standby wait times on our website. So this is also kind of talking about our tools, but it's not our Touring Plans highlight of the day. If you want to know what those standby wait times are looking like, you can head to any attraction on our website. So say you want to type in Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run. In the corner, you are going to see current wait time, and right below that is full forecast. You can click on it, and it will show you a graph of the standby wait times. And you can go to historic wait times and tomorrow's predicted wait times. And it will, it's a graph and it kind of shows you like how busy it is throughout the day. It shows you wait times that people are submitting. And it's really, really helpful to get a good idea of when you might want to hit up that attraction mm-hmm. on kind of the less busy times, if that makes sense. And uh, you can also, I mentioned our, our Walt Disney World Lines app uh, earlier, and the uh, wait time features on the Lines app, it's the same same wait times. We don't we don't change them for the, based on desktop and, and the app. But uh, something like that can help, especially if maybe you're not exactly like a person that wants to follow a step-by-step touring plan, which we, we have, and, we, and they're fantastic. But they're not for everybody. Sometimes people just want to play it a little more a little more off the the cuff than that. And if you're that type of person, they can also help because not only do we show you what Disney is posting as their wait time, we will show you what we estimate the actual wait to be, uh, which is almost always less than what Disney is posting. So you can see that in our lines app and kind of make your decision from there. As I mentioned before, you can also time your own weight, which we love when people do, because that gives us the most accurate, of course, uh, actual weights in line is when you time it. And uh, you can also see, you know, lots of other great things like menus and, you know, the, uh, we're going to be having maps on there soon. I know that's something people really want. So, uh, you know, sometime in the 
relatively near future, we're going to start, you're going to start seeing things like that. So uh, make sure you download that Lines app, especially if you're already a Touring Plan subscriber, there's no extra cost to it. So go ahead and do that. It is available in the App Store. It is available on Google Play. And you can actually get to it by going to m.touringplans.com. That is m like mobile.touringplans.com. If you do not have the App Store or Google Play or just don't want to download it, you can still get to it from your phone. I also wanted to add on to it that that the wait times do work during the parties. I used the Lines app during the Halloween party, and those wait times, the more accurate ones, they were spot on. It said that I was going to wait 36 minutes to go on Peter Pan's flight. The Touring Plans Lines app said 24 minutes. I waited exactly 24 minutes. Lines said that I was going to make wait uh, five minutes for Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. That's exactly what happened. So know that you can use that during the Halloween and the Christmas yeah. party as well. And Brian, aren't you designing the maps that will eventually go into the app? We'll see. I, I, all the if you have noticed on the website when you create a touring plan, there's a map at the bottom. Um, they look a lot different now than they used to. And yes, those maps I do design. The Animal Kingdom one is the only one we're missing, and that should be up. Uh, well, actually, by the time you're hearing this, it, it will have, it will be up already as well. Um, and yes, those should be the maps. Those are exactly to scale, so uh, those should be the maps that go go eventually go into lines. But uh, that won't be. It'll probably be at least a few months before you see that. I just wanted to mention it because that is probably the number one question we get about our lines app is why aren't there maps in it? So we we have heard you and we are working on it. Yes, Brian has worked very hard on those maps and he's done a very good job on them. So thank you. I like I really like drawing maps. So it no, works out for everybody. It's really pretty. <laughs> All, right. All right. So back into the questions here. This one is from BG608. I'm really curious about your advice on touring Galaxy's Edge the week Rise of the Resistance opens. Would you suggest attending before? Rise of Resistance on the day it opens with the way current crowds have been or just avoiding it altogether. Uh, it's been so hard to plan their Hollywood Studios day with such strange Galaxy's Edge weights so far. So what do you think? Like just, I mean, we don't really have hard numbers because a, a situation like this hasn't really come up. Um, so what, what does your gut tell you, Angela? What are you thinking here? I honestly think just stay away for December because unless you were already going to go, then do it. Why not? I mean, you're already there, but don't make a special trip for it like I am. I'm doing it for work and because I, you know, I want to. I'm a Disney fan, but I don't think you need to. Just wait until your regular family vacation, you know, because it's already, you know, you know what I mean? It's it's really hard to tell. This is such a unique situation. Um, we we've, we've had big rides open before, but we kind of thought it would it would the crowds would be split a little bit where you'd get some that went just for galaxy's edge and then some that waited for that and it and it's and like we mentioned before it's hard to tell whether a lot of people are waiting for that or whether they'll just wait until like christmas week when it's going to be slammed anyway it sounds kind of like like bg here is is going to be there like during that week mm -hmm. uh, if that's the case i would say probably avoid the day it opens and just kind of wait and see what it's like I would go early. I would get to the Hollywood studios like an hour before they open and absolutely do Rise of the Resistance first, no matter what. But maybe wait until day two or three and just kind of judge how it's going and keep an eye on it, especially if you have like a park hopper and, you know, like to be at the parks late. It's possible that, you know, the crowd is real, real busy during most of the day and then starts to fizzle towards the end of the night. Maybe you can sneak in there at like 7 or 8 p.m. and wait like, 30, 45 minutes, something like that. But yeah, I would say plan on, on avoiding opening day, go day two or go December 6th or 7th, plan on getting there really early, but maybe keep an eye on it and see if there's some time, if, if the wait times look low, maybe drop everything and head over there. I think that that was a, a much better answer than mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had time to think of it while you were answering. <laughs> I don't regret going to opening day of Galaxy's Edge. It was amazing. The energy was so high. Oh my gosh, it was incredible. But also, the crowds were really, really long for those first few hours, and then they tapered off. And by the end of the night, it was only like a 24 or 30 minute wait for single rider line for Smuggler's Run. And that was an opening day of a new land. And whether that was just like an anomaly or if that was going to happen anyway, I don't really know. So if we're kind of basing that, you know, for Rise of the Resistance, you might be better off either waiting till the end of the night and just kind of stopping by and taking a look, 
maybe looking at the app and seeing what the wait times are, or just going the next day, like Brian said. So it's a webbed world here, says, I can't believe Disney is making a Genie app. How will touring plans uh, deal with this? So if, if any of you missed it, uh, at the D23 Expo, and uh, if you did miss it, you can go back and look. I, I posted a video I think the day after with all of the news from, from D23 and it it is in there somewhere. It's kind of a long video. There was a lot of news, but uh, the genie app is, is supposed to be kind of a planning app. They hinted that one of the things they want to do is help people plan out their day, make something say a touring plan where it would tell you like what rides to do in what order. Sounds familiar, right? So, um, Obviously, this is something we are watching. I don't want to say too much about how we're planning on dealing with it, but uh, but in, in general, there are things that, that you can get from touring plans that you just cannot get from Disney, that Disney just isn't going to give you. I mentioned before when I was talking about lines that we post the actual times, what we, what we estimate based on our, you know, now 15 years of experience. I don't know, it might even be more than that, that, that Lynn has of timing these weights, what the weights are actually going to be. Disney just, just can't do that. If they post a 30 minute wait for a ride, they're not then going to tell you, oh, but don't worry. It's actually only an 18 minute wait uh, because otherwise what's the point of the posted sign? That's, that's just not how that's going to work. So even with their plans, um, it, it's just, we're pretty sure they're not going to be as accurate. Plus we've got, you know, some lead time. This is for, you know, f- about a year from now is when Disney wants to roll this out. So we will keep an eye on it, of course, but uh, we are fairly confident that you will still f- get value out of uh, what we do more so than you will out of what, what Disney does. But uh, don't worry, we will have plenty of, of, uh, of thoughts on that over the next year. I'm sure. You know, also just, Reading things on the internet, it sounds like it's going to be some kind of paid fast pass separate app from my Disney experience. So it's just going to be different in a lot of ways, too. That's certainly um, one of the things that, that they're throwing around. What we've been hearing is that they actually don't know a lot about what they want to do. With. They, they know a lot about what they want to do. They aren't sure yet what they can do. So it might change a lot in the next year or so. So that's why one of the reasons I don't really want to speculate on what it's going to be, because uh, it sounds like they don't even know yet. All right. Shannon Bulku said, now this is a question we've been getting a -hmm. lot on the Ask Me Anythings on Instagram in our DMs here. The reason I haven't addressed it on the Ask Me Anythings is because I I just needed to wait to talk about it with Brian because I don't really know the answer anyway. So here is the question. When will the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World celebration start in 2020, start of January or not until October? And how will this affect trips? You know, is it going to make things busier? Do they have to do anything differently? Yeah. Um, well, one thing, it, it, the anniversary is in 2021. You accidentally said 2020 in there. But, hey, when, uh, when you're just like, call me out in front of everyone. Well, because I don't want to have people mentioning it. Uh, I'm also I'm also pretty sure earlier you called it Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, which sounds like a great Will Smith album. I hope I get royalties from that. For real. But, uh, but yeah, so, so officially October 1st, 2021 is the 50th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom. So Disney is planning a 50th celebration for 2021. I don't, that's another thing. I, I just don't think they know exactly when. If they can start it October 2nd of 2020 and have it run through October, September 30th of 2022, they absolutely will. They love to make anniversary celebrations last as long as possible. So do I. I was, yeah, for real. My, I, I'm, my kid's birthdays, I think, last for like two months now. And um, it's you know, like I was at the 60th anniversary of Disneyland, even though I was there like a year afterwards. I was at the 25th anniversary of Disneyland Paris, even though I was there like three months into the next year. You know, uh-huh. the, they do this this kind of stuff a lot. Part of the reason it's hard to tell is because the new attractions that they're aiming to open in 2021, we don't know when they're opening. So that's, you know, the Tron roller coaster in Magic Kingdom. It's the Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind in Epcot. There's some new hotels, Reflections at Disney Lodge. That might be a 2021. I don't know. 
you know, so it kind of depends if they don't start opening attractions until like May or June of 2021, anytime before that, you're probably golden. If they start opening, right. You know, that kind of, if, if guardians of the galaxy opens in January and Tron opens in February, well then the whole year is probably going to be pretty busy in general. I would still say just, you know, aim for the lower parts of the year, January, February, up until president's day is good. There's usually a little bit of a downtime if there's, you know, May or so in between like Easter and Memorial Day is usually okay. September, as we mentioned before, is a great time to go. Those times will still be bit less busy than the rest of the year. So if, if you have to start planning now, plan for one of those if you can. Okay, so for September or Memorial Day? I would say, yeah, May and September are, are usually pretty good times. If you want to ride the new rides, then I would say maybe aim for September, early October or something like that, if you can, because that the crowds will be relatively lower, at least, compared to like the summer or Thanksgiving. But there's a pretty good chance then that the new rides will be open, or maybe they won't be in February or May. I'm positive they will start putting up banners that say 50th on the very latest January 1st, 2021, just because that's how Disney does those things. But but the, the real key to the crowds is when the rides open. Okay. All right. So next up, Erica S. Lennon, I'll say that, or Erica Slennon. I don't know. Uh, what's Erica the Lennon. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of there's a couple different variations. What's the best fast pass strategy to maximize getting the most fast pass at the Magic Kingdom? I have a way I would do this, but I am curious to hear your way. What I would do is book the fast passes and try to get them done as early as possible before booking one, using it, one, using it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, just a quick a quick overview of, of how, kind of how this works. You're allowed to pick up to three in advance. Uh, after you use those three, however, in the park, you can then go on the My Disney Experience app or go to an in-park kiosk and pick an additional Fast Pass. And then after you use that one, you're allowed to pick an, yet another one. Since the Magic Kingdom has no tiers, as we mentioned with Hollywood Studios before, you can really kind of go for it there. So probably the best, if, if you're trying to do all the rides in Magic Kingdom, the best fast passes are Seven Doors Mine Train is number one with a bullet. Uh, Peter Pan is another one that's really good to get a fast pass for. And then, you know, one of the mountains, Splash Mountain, Big Thunder, Space Mountain, something like that. If you can get those at like 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., that is exactly what I would do. And then as soon as you tap into the first touch point for that third fast pass, so say Space Mountain's your third fast pass. As soon as you touch your magic band, the thing turns green, you walk into the line. Right away, you can go on My Disney Experience and make an additional fast pass. Uh, you don't have to wait till you get off the ride. You don't have to wait till the time is up, nothing. And because there are so many fast pass options in Magic Kingdom, you can usually get those like mid level ones, something like Jungle Cruise, like Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, sometimes even like Big Thunder or something you can find for fairly close. Now on less busy days, but with my family, I've done ones where we've ridden, you know, the kids were on flying carpets and I was standing there looking at fast passes. Well, a Jungle Cruise one was up five minutes from now. So we just got that and you're allowed to get into the fast pass line five minutes early and then just walk straight on to Jungle Cruise. In line for that, I got a Pirates one. Well, then we did that. Well, then I found a Big Thunder one and we just kept jumping fast pass line to fast pass line for, I think, I think it, took, it was about two or three hours straight where we just kept getting like whatever was available next, I just kept taking. Um, so you can really ride it out at Magic Kingdom for a while. So that would be my, and, and keep checking because uh, sometimes you'll see one for 45 minutes for now and then you reload the pay and you and take it and then when you uh you can adjust your fast pass i forget exactly what they call it but um modify i think you can modify your fast pass and look at different times well sometimes you do that and well now there's one available for 30 minutes from now and just keep moving it up as close as you can uh if you're that type of weird obsessive person like i am that wants to just keep refreshing and checking you can really pile up a lot of them in a row it's fun. I haven't done it that way, like to that level of, I don't want to say obsession because that's not. No, nice. it 100% is. It's great. <laughs> but like, it sounds so efficient that like, I, I really want to do this now. This sounds amazing. You can get so much done. No wonder you left the park at three, the day of the party. 
Well, and that was, I think that one actually might've been before FastPass Plus, but um, that was, it was a while ago. No, and that's the type of thing I do like kind of towards the end of the trip or the end of the night. Usually we'll, we'll follow a, a touring plan or at least a rough version of a touring plan for the first couple hours and then kind of go back to the hotel and relax. And then we'll usually just let the kids pick what park we go to in the evening. So that's usually the kind of thing I do then is where I'll just be sitting there going, all right, well, we're going to Magic Kingdom. Like, what can I get fast passes for? Like, hey, you guys want to do Big Thunder? I can get a fast pass in an hour. Like, all right, sweet. And then from there, I'll just kind of see what's available. So That is such uh, a good idea. I like that. Maybe but I'm that also the time. type of person that will stand in the line going like, eh, what's a, like, oh, look at this. And then, you know, five minutes later, refreshing to see like, oh, look, I can get it. Look, I'm moving it up, moving it up, moving it up. All right. <laughs> They're like, dad, we're already in line for something. Calm down. Oh, no. My kids are exactly like me. They love it. They're like, oh, oh we have to wait 10 minutes for that to, for that fast pass? Come on. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're all like Disney high maintenance now. They're like 30 minutes for a ride. I'm not doing it. For real. That like That's that's not that far off, actually. <laughs> There's very few rides that we will wait a, a while for. Flight of Passage is the one that kills me because my kids are willing to wait literally any amount of time for that ride. So we have waited oh. in two and a half hour lines there before, and I hate no, it. No, I couldn't do it. I couldn't even do an hour. All right. S.E. Jones 66. What's the weather in late January? Had to reschedule. I did look this up. And according to Google, uh, the coldest month is January in Orlando. The high average is 70 degrees and the low 48 degrees. So that's about what it is in Minnesota in January too, right? Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> put, put a negative 48 degrees for wind chill and that's accurate. Yes. So just bring a jacket for the evenings. Um, It does, I would say it probably rains when i went in january it rained a lot in february it rained and it's really it really just depends too on the year i've gone you know on years when it didn't rain at all and it was beautiful and then i've gone where it's rained the whole time during that month so um just prepare for that yeah the the biggest problem with january and like the first half of february is that the, it's a high variance. You know, yeah. most of the year in Florida, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be hot. There's going to be midday thunderstorms, and it's going to be like that basically every day for ten months. January and, and early February are different. It could be beautiful. It could be 77 and sunny every day. It could be 55 and like a steady rain all day. Uh, it could be when you wake up in the morning. It could be 29 degrees out. Uh, that has happened. I. I know people that have a couple that go regularly in January and have a few different types of Disney sweatshirts because they woke up and it was very cold one morning and they, their light jacket was not doing it and they had to buy a sweatshirt. You have to plan for a lot more weather than there. Personally, I love it. When my kids were, were little, we used to go in February all the time and we're doing it again next year, actually, for the first time in a few years. But because the weather is weird, a lot of people will stay away. If it's a little too cold in the morning, the parks will be empty. If it's a like all day, like a light rain drizzle, the parks will be empty. It's really great for touring, not great for packing. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's hard because we like to pack pretty light. So having to remember yep. the jackets, the sweatshirts. I mean, we live in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'll just we'll often just wear our jackets and sweatshirts onto the plane. So it's no extra packing on that end. And then we'll just do ponchos, which are pretty tiny. We'll do the re- reusable one. So not a big deal there. All right. So K Hayes, ten thirteen. What are your top three must eats at the Food and Wine Festival? Angela, you were at the Food and Wine Festival this year. Do you have must eats? Okay. So I have to kind of set the stage for you. That was the day. That was the opening of Galaxy's Edge. I had gotten up at four fifteen a.m. the day before. So you remember nothing about. (laughs) And then I had to get up at three a.m. that day, which was really two a.m. Minnesota time, and so I have very little memory of what I ate that day, but I know I had a like a, a vegan impossible burger cottage mm-hmm. pie, which I kept saying tasted like spaghetti. It, and it did. It did. People are like, what's it taste like? I'm like, it tastes like spaghetti. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I had the impossible burger at Flavors from Fire, which tasted really good. And I was very sad that the piggy wings weren't there. So if I was going to tell you what my favorite dish was, it's the piggy wings, but they don't have it. So I mean... You know, but also the the smoked corned beef with crispy potatoes from Flavors of Fire were also really good. Flavors of Fire in general is good. Like they kill I, it. Everything there, I think, is is pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I'm not really a chocolate person, but they had very close to flavors from fire. They had this pumpkin chocolate chai milkshake type thing, which was very light on chocolate and very light on pumpkin. That was really good. So if you're if you like all those things, and I'm not a pumpkin person either to drink, um, that was delicious. Tasted like chocolate milk with pumpkin. So I would try that. Otherwise, you have to go to, I think it's called like Apple Seed Orchard. Basically, oh, yes. in, in O Canada, right? Yeah. Yes, they redid O Canada. It smells exactly like apples. It's a very cool atmosphere. There's nowhere to sit, but you can put your stuff down and just relax. And it's in the AC. Definitely go in there. They have apple caramel popcorn, a frozen caramel apple treat. Just go in there for the ambiance and to relax. It's it's really neat in there. Definitely go inside there. I've only been to Food & Wine a couple of times. Um, last year, I did go to shoot a couple of videos. I don't remember offhand specific dishes that I really liked, but I can tell you a couple of videos that I shot. One of them, uh, at a suggestion from a user that I loved, was uh, tasting beef dishes and beer flights which is a 26-minute video. So it's called Food and Wine Festival, Tasting Beef Dishes and Beer Flights, if you look for that on our YouTube page. And I know I go through like a lot of the beef dishes and and talk about those. So if you if you like beef, uh, that would be helpful. And then as uh, something Angela just reminded me of when she said there's no place to sit in the, uh, the apple uh, orchard, uh, one of the other ones I did, which was a great suggestion, which was just places to eat, not not places to get food, but places to physically eat the food at Food and Wine. And I just kind of hunted around Epcot for spaces that were kind of near the Food and Wine booths that were good places to just sit and eat. So uh, that's that's very interesting. The best one, by the way, is the America Gardens Theater uh, before the Eat to the Beat concerts start, like in the middle of the day. Uh, just a ton of benches and shade and nobody's there. Do we have a food and wine playlist on our YouTube channel? I don't think we do, but we probably should. I'm going to make one today. And I, since I'm now doing the show notes, I will put that link in the show notes so that all of those videos that Brian mentioned and mine, because I'm going to plug myself too, um, all those food and wine videos are going to be in the show notes. Yeah, there's, Angela does a great uh, food review of a couple different things from last year's food and wine where she makes some amazing faces. So. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I have one as a gift somewhere. I gotta find you that. do, and I, you can't. I don't. We gotta make it Twitterable because that's it's a gross face. All right. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, where do I buy Dooney and Burke's food and wine merchandise when I'm at Epcot? So those are actually on the Shop Disney Store website, as well as the other food and wine merchandise. So if you can't get to food and wine, just buy it online. Also, it's going to be at Port of Entry and Mouse Gear as well. All right, uh, we're going to probably lightning round a few of these because we're running very long, as we usually do. So uh, Civic483 asks, will you have to exit the Skyliner from Pop to uh, Caribbean Beach and then to, for, to get from Caribbean Beach to Epcot? We don't know exactly the answers to that. When you're hearing this, you might actually know the answer because when you're hearing this, the uh, Skyliner will be open to all guests. I'm pretty sure the answer is yes, that at every station you stop at, you will have to get off, get back in line, get back on. Shouldn't take very long, but the answer, I believe, is going to be yes. Uh, Maldivard, any estimate guesses on when the Walt Disney World Railroad will be open slash running again? At the time of this episode, no, we have not even heard rumors of when it will be opening, but we have a refurbishment webpage on the Touring Plans website where you can always head to and it will update you on when things are closing, opening, all that fun stuff. GQBED asks, will Brian entertain having an audience for a resort tour video and or a guest host? Yes, I would gladly have have a a guest host or a studio audience, but I'm like a leprechaun and you have to find me first. This is very true. And then if you find him, you get a picture with him and he has to make any funny face you want. Sure. Um, I'll agree to that. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, HJ will 88 podcast or articles for first time first timers to Walt Disney World. I would say all of it, podcast, articles, videos, everything. Soak it all in. Enjoy. This is such an exciting time. Just drink it all up. 
Yeah, nothing specific. Just the more you listen to, the more you'll just get familiar with it, like through osmosis. It's great. Yeah. A, a username I'm not going to try to pronounce S. If going with a larger group, what is the best way to share my personalized touring plan itineraries? Personalized touring plans are, of course, the touring plans that you can personalize yourself, as the name would suggest. Put in your own date, your own fast passes, your own reservations, and the computer will optimize it for you. They're great to share them. What you want to do is you click the edit button in the window that opens. There is something that uh, asks if you want to publish the plan. You check that box, you hit save, and then you will see at the top of the uh, page, there will now be a new link that has a print ID code in it. Uh, you share that one and everyone can see it. They will not be able to edit it. The only way to have people edit it is to share your username and password, which we don't necessarily recommend, uh, but that is the way to show everyone what you have been working on. LLWR38, any impact to a touring plan visiting Walt Disney World during a cheerleading competition? Not necessarily. Um, I would just say that the value resorts will be a little crazier and there will be a lot more little girls screaming. Especially all-star sports. They like to stay there, it seems yeah. like. So you will see a lot of cheerleading practice on the uh, fake football field at all-star sports. So <laughs> that's interesting. And the food court will be very loud. Oh, lots of giggling. Safe1970 asks, well, the new space restaurant that is Space 220 at Epcot, uh, next to Mission Space, will the space restaurant be taking reservations soon? We don't know. Uh, it's officially opening this winter. Disney had previously said that it would open in 2019. So if it's opening in winter of 2019, that's like end of November, December. Uh, we don't know if that winter might override the 2019, so maybe it will open in January or February. It should be taking reservations now. It is not. What that tells me is they don't know exactly when it will open. But uh, keep an eye on blog.touringplans.com where we will tell you. We'll do Windy City Ashley's question. When is the best time of day to get a first haircut in Magic Kingdom or do the behind the scenes tour in Epcot? I don't really think that there's a best time of day because I believe you can just make a reservation to do the first haircut. That's what I did for my son. That's the Harmony Barbershop. It's a really cute experience. I definitely suggest that for your child. So fun. They even have a Disney photographer take pictures. Um, behind the seats tour, same deal, right? I, the tours, I would say maybe try to do them like in the middle of the day for the most part, because that's when like the wait times for the rides will be the highest. And uh, you don't, you know, you're not going to have to wait or anything to do like a behind the seat, behind the seats tour or something like that. Uh, so you might as well, that way you can ride some rides early in the morning and then maybe like late morning after lunch range do the tour when uh, you wouldn't necessarily want to be waiting in line anyway. But as far as calling to make a reservation or can you just show up for that? I've never done it. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys tell us. Use hashtag TPPOT or use hashtag touring plans on Instagram because we don't promote that one enough. Well, with that, that's our show for today. If you want to check us out on www.touringplans.com for all of your travel planning needs, we have a blog, which is the Touring Plans blog on there. We are Touring Plans on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Brian is yes that Brian on Twitter, and I am at Angela Dahlgren on Twitter. I hope that you guys all have a great week and we will see you next time. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to the Touring Plans Podcast. More money-saving episodes on the way. In the meantime, plan your perfect trip at touringplans.com.